Hi everyone and welcome to my A to Z of musicals and in this episode we're listening to all things beginning with the letter K. So there are lots to fit in today, let's get started. As a teenager, I played the original Broadway cast recording of The King and I just over and over and absolutely loved it. This was uh, the 1951 Broadway huge success of Rodgers and Hammerstein's fifth collaboration together. And The King and I was based on a book originally by Margaret Landon called Anna and the King of Siam. It was set in the, in the 1860s and has become an absolute classic as a stage show and the 1956 film. When the show opened, it opened to rapturous acclaim. People loved it. And if you listen to the uh, Broadway cast recording, there is some absolutely stunning vocals in there. Not necessarily by Gertrude Lawrence, who played Anna Leon Owens, the main female character, although um, Gertrude Lawrence was fantastic in this show. Um, but her singing range by this point was quite low and restricted, really. And um, you hear the range of singing more from some of the other characters. But it really is a beautiful, beautiful recording. Dorothy Sarnoff plays Lady Tiang in the original cast and her rendition of Something Wonderful is truly heartbreaking. As is actually the wonderful Ruthie Ann Miles who played the part in the most recent Broadway production and uh, gave a stunning vocal again as Lady Tiang. The stage show was initiated by Gertrude Lawrence, the very popular star of stage, and she was enchanted by the book and approached Rogers and Hammerstein to see if they could craft a musical for her to star in as the lead character of Anna Leon Owens. And it's essentially a true story. The show was such a success, it ran for 1,246 performances initially on Broadway with a huge number of revivals and productions around the world. It won five Tony Awards, including obviously for Gertrude Lawrence and also for Yul Brynner as uh, the, who played the part of the King. And it also won Best Musical that year. Yul Brynner was uh, involved really more to do with television at this point in his career. He'd done some film work, but he wasn't well known, certainly for musicals. And this, he was a young man at this point, and he went on to make this his lifetime's work, as well as all the amazing films that he worked in. He starred in The King and I for 4,625 performances from the original production and revivals in 1977 and 1985, 
on Broadway. Sadly, Gertrude Lawrence only survived for a year and a half of the original production and she died during the run of liver cancer at the age of only 54. In 1956, 20th Century Fox made the breathtaking film adaptation of The King and I. And of course, Yul Brynner continued to star as the king. I mean, it's amazing to think that he almost wasn't the king in the original stage production. Um, quite a few other people turned the part down, including Rex Harrison, who had starred in a 1946 film version, adaptation of um, Anna and the King of Siam, with Irene Dunn, the British actress. Uh, he turned it down, as did Alfred Drake, who interestingly went on to play the part of the king in a later production. Noel Coward also was considered very briefly, um, although he said no. Um, of course, he was famously Gertrude Lawrence's very close friend and confidant. The film received tremendous public response. And Yul Brynner, who'd already become an overnight sensation in the stage production, just shot even greater stardom. Uh, the film actually was nominated for nine Academy Awards and won six, including, of course, um, a, a Best Actor Oscar for Yul Brynner. Deborah Carr, who plays the part of Anna Leon Owens, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress, but didn't win. And in fact, she's been nominated six times for Academy Awards and still holds the record for the most nominated female actress without a win. Yulbrenner pushed for Deborah Carr to get the part in this film because he knew her as a gracious actress with a real quality uh, and an Englishness about her. And of course, she performed that role, in my opinion, as Anna Leon Owens, absolutely beautifully. Sadly, um, Gertrude Lawrence couldn't play in the film, but she apparently was buried in the ball gown from Act Two of this stage production, designed by the amazing Irene Sharaf. And Irene was also the winner of an Academy Award for her work on that production. And rightly so, uh, when you look at the costumes, it's just incredible. Um, interestingly, of course, this film was rife with dubbing. And if, if you've listened to me talk about dubbing before, you know that it's something that fascinates me. Marnie Nixon, the amazing ghost singer, actually voiced the songs for Anna Leon Owens. And um, apparently she, Marnie Nixon and Deborah Carr were really closely together to make sure that this, this was done extremely well. And uh, also dubbed in this film was uh, Carlos Rivas, who played Luntar. He was dubbed by Ruben Fuentes. And Rita Moreno, who plays the part of Tuptim, had her voice augmented 
by Leona Gordon as well. There have been so many great productions of this show over the years, including the 1953 West End uh, opening premiere with Herbert Lom as the King and Valerie Hobson as Anna Leon Owens. And in fact, Yul Brynner did come to London, to the West End, in 1979 to perform as the King at the London Palladium. But we've seen so many people playing these lead roles, massive numbers, including Barbara Cook in 1960 with the film actor Farley Granger as the King. In 1991, Hayley Mills placed uh, Anna in an Australian production. And in 1992, there was the famous studio recording with Julie Andrews as Anna, with Ben Kingsley, Leia Salonga and Peebo Bryson in the cast as well, along with the wonderful Marilyn Horne as Lady Tiang. In 1996, there was a fantastic revival on Broadway with the magnificent Donna Murphy as Anna, and she actually won a Tony Award for her performance, and the show actually won Best Revival Tony that year as well. The production then came to London a few years later in 2000 with Elaine Page and Jason Scott Lee in the roles. By the time I got to see that production, um, Elaine Page had left the production and she was replaced by Josie Lawrence. In 2011, I saw a touring production actually in the UK with Josephina Gabrielle and I think she's a magnificent performer and Ramon Tikaram as the king. But uh, there's so many people. Uh, Sally Ann Howes has played uh, Anna, Virginia McKenna, Faith Prince, Maria Friedman, Marie Osmond, <laughs> so many people. And then in 2015, there was the fabulous revival at the Lincoln Center with Kelly O'Hara and Ken Watanabe. Ruthie-Anne Miles as Lady Tiang. And also in the cast was Edward Baker Julie as Sir Edward Ramsay. And I saw him only a couple of years ago, actually, alongside Jenna Russell at the Menier Chocolate Factory's production of The Bridges of Madison County, which was wonderful. The most recent production in the UK has been a touring production of that Lincoln Centre stage show. Actually, I saw that production at the Kennedy Centre in Washington, D.C. with Laura Michelle Kelly in the lead role of Anna. And she was absolutely brilliant with Jose Lana as the king, a fantastic pairing. And the very last show that I saw before lockdown last year was the UK touring production with Annaline Beachy as Anna Leon Owens and she was absolutely fabulous. What a brilliant production and uh, I'm so glad that I got to see that before all the theatres closed. So it's been a popular show for a long time. Uh, actually there have been all kinds of other adaptations. I remember watching in the 1970s a TV non-musical series actually, almost like a comedy drama series with Yul Brynner as the king and Samantha Egger 
as Annalia Owens, but it only ran for 13 episodes and was cancelled in the States. And there's a 1999 animated film version as well with um, Miranda Richardson voicing the spoken role of Anna. So for me, The King and I is always going to be up there as one of my favourite shows, particularly the lavish, beautiful film production. And it certainly deserves its place in the A to Z of musicals Letter K. An absolute musical theatre and musical film legend is the wonderful Howard Keel. He was born, in fact, Harold Keel in 1919. And he's so famous for that fantastic full-voiced baritone. Howard Keel became a star of film, stage and TV. But he got his Broadway debut in 1945 as a replacement for Billy Bigelow in Carousel on Broadway. He was actually understudying for John Raitt. And then a few years later, he did star as Billy Bigelow again in a revival. Being in Carousel led to him taking over the role of Curly, again on Broadway, in Oklahoma, this time in 1946. And interestingly, whilst he was in Oklahoma, um, Howard Keel actually got to perform both leads for Carousel and Oklahoma on Broadway on the same day. And he's the only person ever to do that. Imagine running from one theatre to the other and switching roles. Wow. Um, Howard Keel got his big screen break in 1950 in the MGM musical Annie Get Your Gun. And of course, we've talked already about this in a little bit back in the letter G when I talked about how Judy Garland was originally meant to play the part of Annie Oakley, but the role then ultimately went to Betty Hutton. This was a big hit. It was an Arthur Freed production and it was the biggest MGM musical moneymaker in its time with 11 Irving Berlin songs, including, of course, the wonderful There's No Business like show business as the finale. And so Howard Keel became a huge star and a massive name. And he was signed up by MGM and made several of the most brilliant movie musicals of all time. The next one in 1951 being Showboat. And this was based on the book by Edna Ferber, which had been turned into a Ziegfeld show on Broadway back in 1927 with music by the phenomenally talented Jerome Kern. And actually, we'll be talking about Jerome Kern because, yes, his surname begins with the letter K. Showboat was filmed in 1929, mostly as a silent movie, and then again in 1936, so this version with Howard Keel was the third film version and it starred the wonderful Catherine Grayson. This was their first pairing. It also starred Joe E. Brown and Agnes Moorhead with the wonderful Ava Gardner as Julie Laverne. And of course we know that um, Ava Gardner's singing voice was dubbed by Annette Warren on those two gorgeous songs, Bill 
and can't help loving that man. Alongside Howard Keel, we also had William Warfield singing Old Man River. And I absolutely loved this film as I was growing up and still do now. It was directed by George Sidney, as were so many of those MGM musical classics, and produced by Arthur Freed. And Arthur Freed created his own musical theatre unit, really, the Arthur Freed unit. And many of the shows that I, and musical films that I've talked about today and in previous episodes, were under the production unit of Arthur Freed. Howard Keel's second film with Catherine Grayson was in 1952, the musical Lovely to Look At, again MGM. Anne Miller starred in this, I absolutely love Anne Miller, and so did Zsa Zsa Gabor, Red Skelton, and Marge and Gower Champion, who'd both also been with Howard Keel in the film of Showboat. In fact, incidentally, they got their own MGM musical called Everything I Have Is Yours. Lovely to Look At was a rewrite of the 1934 RKO film Roberta that had starred Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Again, music by Jerome Kern. And the most famous song from that show still nowadays will be Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. The following year, Howard Keel was loaned out to the Warner Brothers Studios in 1953 to star alongside Doris Day in Calamity Jane. He plays the part of Wild Bill Hickok. And I talk a little bit about this in the episode letter D when I talk more about Doris Day. The third film that starred both Howard Keel and Catherine Grayson together was the 1953 MGM classic, Kiss Me Kate. And I'm going to talk about that separately in a little while because yes, that's also a letter K musical. So let's come back to that. Instead, in 1954, MGM released the mega sensational hit, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh, he performed this time alongside Jane Powell with his six siblings, Mark Platt, Matt Mattox, Jacques D'Amboise, Tommy Rao, Jeff Richards and Russ Tamlin. And of course, we know so many of those characters and performers from other shows. This film was choreographed by the very talented Michael Kidd with songs by Gene DePaul and Johnny Mercer, including that song, Wonderful Day and Bless Your Beautiful Hide. A gorgeous film, beautiful uh, scenery, costumes and stunning to look at. In 1954 also, we had Rosemary the Musical with Howard Keel and Anne Blythe, and he starred actually with Anne Blythe again in 1955 in the MGM musical Kismet. Can you believe there are so many Ks today? Kismet, based on the 1953 Broadway show, which was actually based on a play by Edward Knobloch in 1911, uh, which was made into a silent movie and then a talking movie and then another MGM movie. It was a very popular theme. The Broadway show 
starred leading man Alfred Drake, who actually had been on Broadway already in Oklahoma and in Kiss Me Kate. And alongside Alfred Drake was the wonderful Doretta Morrow, who had actually starred in 1951 as Tuptim on Broadway in The King and I. Kismet the Broadway Show won Best Musical at the Tony Awards in 1954 and it had music by Robert Wright and George Forrest. Their first international hit was Song of Norway in 1944 and they used the music of 19th century Russian composer Alexander Borodin as their inspiration, particularly Borodin's Palotsian dances. There were only two songs actually in the show that were not based upon uh, Borodin's music. So in 1955, MGM made the film version, of course, with Howard Keel and the vivacious Dolores Gray, the gorgeous Anne Blythe and pop star Vic Damone. And uh, the film, it didn't do really well. It wasn't a great success. And actually, for Howard Keel, this was kind of bringing him to the end of his contract with MGM because some of the films that he was in over the next couple of years were less financially successful, which is a real shame because he had brought in so much money to the studio and also remains to this day one of their greatest musical legends. Howard Keel did get to originate two roles on Broadway, although they were both short runs. In 1957 in the musical Saratoga and in 1972 in the show Ambassador. And he actually had a continued connection with musical theatre he performed quite often at the St. Louis Muni. In 1978, he was once again reprised his role as Adam in Seven Brides, as well as South Pacific, My Fair Lady and White Christmas. And probably towards those later years in his life, he was most famous and well-known for starring in the CBS television programme, Dallas, where he... Um, starred as Clayton Farlow and this brought about a great renewed fame for him really and encouraged a more creative recording period for him. So there you go, Howard Keel, in my opinion, an absolute musical legend. So my next musical beginning with the letter K is Kiss Me Kate. And it's already been mentioned today because, of course, in the 1953 film version, Howard Keel plays the leading role. But it started out on Broadway on the 30th of December 1948. And this was Cole Porter's masterpiece. It was the first time and only time really that he wrote an integrated musical where the songs are part of the story and grow with the storytelling. And the storytelling was written by the fantastic Samuel and Bella Spuak, a married couple that were actually going through um, marital problems at the time, which is really funny when you look at the context of the script and the story and the relationship between Kate and Petruchio. 
It's based on the William Shakespeare play, The Taming of the Shrew, and Cole Porter wrote an incredible 25 songs, which were then whittled down to 17 that made it to the final Broadway production, including songs like So In Love, Always True To You In My Fashion, Too Down Hot, Wunderbar, Brush Up Your Shakespeare, just a fantastic song after song. And it was a triumph. It received rapturous reviews with uh, 1,077 performances on Broadway. It actually won the Best Musical Tony Award in 1949. And this was the first year that they'd had a Best Musical category at the Tonys. In fact, it was nominated for five Tonys and won all five of them. Cole Porter actually was hoping that Mary Martin could perform as Kate, but um, that didn't happen. She was looking at uh, being involved with South Pacific at the time. So the cast was Alfred Drake and Patricia Morrison, with the wonderful, uh, sexy and sultry Lisa Kirk as uh, Lois Lane. Now, I'm just going to speak about Lisa Kirk because Lisa Kirk's name begins with the letter K. So we have another connection. Now, Lisa Kirk was uh, an American film and TV and stage singer and actress. She was a favourite in nightclubs, actually. Her voice was described as a husky alto and uh, she made her Broadway debut in 1947 in the Rodgers and Hammerstein show Allegro and allegedly stopped the show every night with her performance as Emily singing The Gentleman is a Dope. And she then went on to even more critical acclaim being in the original Broadway cast of Kiss Me Kate as Lois Lane and Bianca. Aside from that, uh, Lisa Cook is probably most famous for dubbing most of the singing voice for Rosalind Russell in the film version of Gypsy. And uh, in 1974, Lisa Cook came back to Broadway in the original production of Mac and Mabel as Lottie Ames alongside Robert Preston and Bernadette Peters and you can hear her on the original Broadway cast recording singing Tap Your Troubles Away, Lisa Kirk. So going back to Kiss Me Kate, the show opened in London in 1951 with 400 performances and then in 1953 of course the famous film adaptation produced by Jack Cummings. This was an MGM film made in 3D and flat versions. In fact, one of the cinema critics at the time said, quote, Anne Miller's gorgeous legs seem to land in your lap. And uh, the film was a great success and it was particularly um, wonderful for Howard Keel and Catherine Grayson who went on to, to more success in musical films. There have been plenty of revivals of Kiss Me Kate on Broadway and around the world, most famously the 2000 Broadway revival with Marin Mazzi and Brian Stokes Mitchell, which got sensational reviews. 
And I was really lucky to see a gorgeous production at the Old Vic with Hannah Waddingham and Alex Bourne. And it was just a gorgeous production. So, Kiss Me Kate, a fantastic Letter K musical. The Letter K absolutely does have some amazing musical theatre legends. And our next two are the dazzling Broadway duo of Kanda and Ebb. John Kanda and Fred Ebb. John Kanda was the composer and wrote the music, Fred Ebb the lyrics, and they worked immaculately together. They met in 1962 and collaborated actually on songs for rec recording artists at the time, including Barbara Streisand. Uh, they wrote My Colouring Book. But probably the star that they are most associated with will be Liza Minnelli. And she made her Broadway debut at the age of only 19 years of age in their first musical together, Flora the Red Menace. And this opened on Broadway in 1965. And it wasn't a hit. <laughs> 87 performances. It wasn't because of um, Liza Minnelli. It just wasn't a great show. Actually, Hal Prince, the producer, had planned to have the new Broadway star, Barbara Streisand, in this show. But she wasn't available. 19 years of age... Liza Minnelli was just fantastic. Um, and this began the professional and personal friendship that she had with Kandra and Ebb over the years. But it took her another ooh, seven years before she made her name in another Kandra and Ebb success, the film adaptation of their musical Cabaret. Cabaret opened on Broadway in 1966 and I'm not going to talk about it today because I talked about it in more detail back in the Letter C episode along with Chicago, another of the phenomenal shows that Kendra and Ebb worked on together which opened in 1975. It wasn't fully appreciated at the time, but now we see that as an absolute masterpiece. And Liza Minnelli did have a stint in Chicago as Roxy for a short while. So check out um, Letter C episode of my podcast for more about that. The partnership of Kandra and Ebb produced a lot of shows, some of them that weren't necessarily successful um, financially or critically, but all having wonderful scores with some fantastic songs in. In 1968, they had The Happy Time, which had, and it was kind of an intimate musical play, really, but they had Robert Goulet in that performance, in that production. They had a show called Zorba in 1968, 70 Girls 70, a farcical musical which opened in 1971. Again, only 36 performances, uh, but a vibrant score. They wrote the music for the film of Funny Lady, the sequel to Barbara Streisand's successful Funny Girl. Um, 
again, not a great film and the songs really up, particularly in, in the film soundtrack, are not as memorable, certainly, as the original film and stage version of Funny Girl. Kendra Neb had the act in 1977 and the film, they scored the film of New York, New York, again with Liza Minnelli. In 1981, Kendra Neb um, wrote the Woman of the Year score, and that was a really brassy, highly enjoyable score, and provided a star turn for the wonderful Lauren Bacall, who was back on Broadway. In 1984, Kendra Neb brought us The Rink, the roller skating musical with the wonderful Cheetah Rivera and Liza Minnelli as mother and daughter, along with Jason Alexander. Everyone agreed, actually, that this was one of Cheetah Rivera's best performances, and she rightly won a Tony Award for this performance. And the book for The Rink was written by Terence McNally, and this was his first book for Broadway. The show ran for 204 performances and Terence McNally went on then to work with Kendra Neb on their next musical, Kiss of the Spider Woman. And this was really a dark musical play. It's set in an Argentinian prison and is the struggle really between the two inmates in a prison cell. It's a powerful and searching drama and a, a musical tragedy. It's heartbreaking. It's based on Manuel Puig's novel and it had quite a troubled journey um, as a show. It started out in New York as a State University of New York Purchase Campus production with Lauren Mitchell John Rubinstein, who had already created the role of Pippin back in 1972 in the Stephen Schwartz musical, and it starred Kevin Gray, again, who was a Broadway and a UK musical theatre star, having performed in shows like King and I, Jesus Christ Superstar and Pacific Overtures. So it had good people in 1990 when it started out, but it wasn't really ready to be performed yet on Broadway. And critics came to the performances and absolutely slated it. Um, the reviews were devastating. So the show was kind of left for a while, but Kendra Neb and McNally kept working on it. And in 1992, the show opened in Toronto the show started to get better reviews and Kendra uh, Neb had pretty much rewritten all the songs and music for the show by this point. And the show went to the West End for a run in 1992. It ran for 390 performances with Cheetah Rivera, Brent Carver and Anthony Crivello. And ultimately, these three would take the show to Broadway in 1993. Whilst in the West End, Kiss of the Spider-Woman was nominated for five Olivier Awards and won one for Best Lighting Design. But it also won the London Evening Standard Award for Best Musical. 
And so the show went to Broadway, 1993, May, and it was a spectacular success. The audiences loved it, and it actually won seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Book, and Best Original Score. And all three performers won as well for Best Leading Actor and Actress and Best Featured Actor in a Musical. It's worth mentioning as well that costume designer Florence Klotz, K-L-O-T-Z, also won a Tony Award for Best Costume Design in uh, Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Florence Klotz, another K for our um, letter K this week. She also designed costumes for uh, shows such as Pacific Overtures, Follies, A Little Night Music and uh, Showboat, the 1995 revival. And she actually won Tonys for all of the ones I've just mentioned so Kiss of the Spider-Woman went on to become uh, a bit of a cult show, really, and is still loved today. When Cheetah Rivera left the Broadway company to launch the US national tour, she was replaced by the wonderful Vanessa Williams. And there is a recording of Vanessa Williams' performance in that show alongside the original Broadway cast recording. So Kendra and Ed brought us the most incredible shows, haven't they? And there's more. Steel Pier in 97. And then, sadly, Fred Ebb died in 2004. And um, John Kander continued to work on some of the scores that they had developed or had started to develop. In 2007, uh, Broadway opened Curtains and... Uh, this ran for 511 performances and actually had a brilliant cast, including David Hyde Pierce and Deborah Monk, Jason Daneely, Karen Ziemba and Jill Pace. And I saw a touring production of this in the UK um, in 2019 with the wonderful Rebecca Locke and Jason Manford. Kendra uh, Neb also brought us eventually on Broadway in 2015, The Visit, which had had a bit of a, uh, a troubled start, but Cheetah Rivera brought that to Broadway in 2015. Um, again, this time with another book by Terence McNally. It had originally been developed for Angela Lansbury, but Angela turned it down um, for personal reasons at the time, and Cheetah replaced her. And... The final show that I want to mention by Kandra Neb is The Scottsboro Boys. This opened on Broadway in October 2010. And this is a really a stunning, deeply moving and intense story. It's actually set in Alabama in the 1930s. And it's based on the true story of nine black teenagers who were falsely accused of raping two white women. And... I actually was fortunate enough to see the West End production of this in February of 2015 at the Garrick Theatre and it was absolutely stunning, a really beautiful and, and at times difficult musical to watch. So the amazing Kandra and Ebb. And before we say goodbye to them, I just want to mention the 1972 television special that they worked on with the wonderful 
Bob Fosse as director and choreographer, and of course, Liza Minnelli in the TV concert film Liza with a Z. And this was produced by Fred Ebb and Bob Fosse. And they chose Marvin Hamlish actually as their musical coordinator. And this was brought out only shortly after the success and release of the film of Cabaret, which they'd all worked on together. Liza with a Z won four Emmy Awards and it's just a, a fabulous show to watch and is now available uh, to purchase on DVD. So, Kandra and Ebb, in my mind, absolute musical theatre legends. In 2015, I went to Broadway with friends of mine and we saw the wonderful Kinky Boots at the Al Hirschfeld Theatre on Broadway. And this had opened back in 2012 with music and lyrics by the fabulous pop star Cindy Lauper and book by Harvey Firestein. And uh, we absolutely love this show. It's so funny and, uh, and, and just a lovely story. Uh, Charlie Price was played by Andy Kelso, with Kyle Taylor Parker as Lola when we saw the show, along with Jenna DeWall. And she's actually gone on to originate the role of Dawn in Waitress on Broadway as well. And uh, a couple of years ago, there was a UK touring production uh, where I saw Joel Harper-Jackson as Charlie with the incredible Callum Francis as Lola. It's such a great, fun show kinky boots. Now, I could not possibly do a podcast about the letter K without talking about the incredible, magnificent, stunning Gene Kelly. And I have loved his work from being a very young boy. Uh, he it was so talented, so innovative, so um, dazzling and, and gorgeous and he just drew me into those musical movies particularly the MGM classics of course that he's so famous for. Now Gene Kelly was born in 1912 as Eugene Curran Kelly and dance was his first love he always was dancing so at quite an early age he ended up being in the chorus and ensembles of Broadway shows, including Cole Porter's Leave It To Me in 1938. And he did musical reviews. And it was amazing, really, that in 1940, he was given the lead role of Joey Evans in the Broadway musical Pal Joey. And this was a kind of a, a shady world of seedy nightclubs not your typical fare for a joyful uh, Broadway musical. And it wasn't a massive success, but it meant that he was spotted by the Arthur Freed production unit who worked at MGM on all those wonderful musicals. In the chorus with Gene Kelly was Stanley Donan, who became Gene's really good friend and Kelly actually brought Stanley Donan to Hollywood in 1942. So 
Gene Kelly was cast in an MGM film alongside the wonderful Judy Garland. And I do talk about this a little bit in my episode G when I talk about Judy. And this was the film for me and my gal. It was Gene's Broadway debut and Judy Garland really kind of took him under her wing and helped him and showed him the ropes. And it was choreographed by the legend that is Busby Berkeley. And there's that wonderful scene when the two of them sing, the bells are ringing. I love that film and I was so drawn to him and his warmth and, and the relationship that you could see between Judy and Jean. And that was the start of his successful and long movie musical career. He did some other films uh, in those early years that weren't necessarily great hits and not always musicals, um, including Dubarry Was a Lady and uh, The Ziegfeld Follies. In 1945, he actually was in Ziegfeld Follies dancing along with Fred Astaire for the very first time in that sequence called The Babbit and the Bromide. And they didn't actually dance together again until 1975 with the compilation MGM movie, That's Entertainment. In 1944, MGM loaned Gene Kelly out to Columbia Pictures and he performed with Rita Hayworth in the musical Cover Girl. And actually, this was probably the film that really made him a star that helped people to recognise who he was and to see the amazing talents that he had. He was pretty much allowed to choreograph whatever he liked in that film. And there is that amazing dance routine when Gene Kelly dances with his own reflection, the alter ego routine. It's phenomenal, even now, to watch it and you think of all the special effects that we have nowadays. Really worth going back to watch that routine. Incidentally, Rita Hayworth was dubbed in that film by Martha Mears. And the music was written by Jerome Kern and uh, Ira Gershwin. And there's that beautiful song in there called Long Ago and Far Away. So it was the 1940s, late 1940s by now, and Gene Kelly was starring in a successful film after successful film, The Three Musketeers in 1948, that absolutely gorgeous, lavish production. Not a musical, but it had in it uh, the wonderful June Allison, who I absolutely love, and Lana Turner. And then also in 1948, The Pirate, being paired again with the marvellous Judy Garland. This was directed by Vincent Minnelli and with new songs actually by Cole Porter. Uh, along with um, Jean and Judy was the fabulous veteran actress Gladys Cooper and the dancing Nicholas Brothers. 1949 saw two huge films for Jean Kelly um, Arthur Freed Productions again for MGM. Take Me Out to the Ball Game with Frank Sinatra and On the Town with Frank Sinatra. Both films actually starred Betty Garrett as well. Um, Take Me Out to the Ball Game was a baseball story also starring Esther Williams. 
But it was on the town for me that kind of made me just think, oh, wow, I want to see everything this guy does. I love on the town. I love the fact that it was filmed on location. He sparkles in it. It's such a joyous show. And all those um, character roles with um, Jules Munchin and Vera Ellen, Betty Garrett and the magnificent Anne Miller. And of course, On the Town was Gene Kelly's directorial debut as well. This film was inspired by the 1944 Broadway hit and uh, with choreography by Jerome Robbins. And there are some beautiful balletic scenes in this film. And actually, Gene Kelly was credited for almost single-handedly making the ballet form commercially acceptable to film audiences. He was so talented and, and such a beautiful dancer. Gene Kelly co-directed On the Town with his friend Stanley Donan and uh, the book and lyrics were by Betty Comden and Adolph Green and music by the amazing Leonard Bernstein. The score actually from this film won an Academy Award uh, for Roger Edens and Lenny Hayton. And I always love the little performance in this film from Alice Pierce as Florence Bates, just a, a hysterically funny performance. In 1950, Jean starred again with Judy Garland. And I have talked actually about this summer stock film when I talk in my G podcast. Um, about how this was Judy's swan song, really, for MGM. There are some wonderful routines in here, though, and there's a particularly special scene when Gene Kelly dances with a newspaper on the floor and he shuffles it around and rips it with his feet and splits the pages in half and then in half again and in half again. And it just reminds me of what a very clever and imaginative and creative dancer Gene Kelly was. But his success continued. In 1951, we had the release of An American in Paris. It's an absolute feast of Gershwin music and was universally acclaimed. Uh, of course, Gene Kelly discovered the young ballet dancer Leslie Caron in the Ballet des Champs-Élysées in Paris. The film went on to win six Academy Awards and was just spectacular. Followed in 1952 by, for many, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, movie musicals of all time, Singing in the Rain. And at the time it was considered to be a good film, but since it, it's become a favourite for so many people. It really is incredible. And you watch this film and, and just have a sense of joy the whole time. Music this time by Nacio Herb Brown. Lyrics by Arthur Freed. And written by the wonderful Comden and Green. And it's set in the world of uh, moving pictures. Monumental picture studios. And Gene Kelly is joined by the wonderful Donald O'Connor. And gorgeous young Debbie Reynolds and a hysterically funny Jean Hagen playing the part of Lena Lamont, who incidentally had started her career on Broadway too. 
After this film, Gene Kelly received an Academy Honorary Award for his career's achievements, and, and rightly so. Uh, what a, a wonderful time for him to get this award. And he carried on with more, less successful, but still films that have got so many wonderful qualities about them. In 1954, the film adaptation of Brigadoon with Sid Charisse and, and Van Johnson, based on the 1947 stage hit. Um, this film and stage have got the most gorgeous music, including Heather on the Hill and Almost Like Being in Love, written by Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe, of course, those two amazing composers. In 1955, he starred in It's Always Fair Weather, which I did talk about in the podcast letter I. And then in 1956, a daring experiment, really, of an all-dance, no-dialogue, episodic ballet film, Invitation to the Dance. And whilst this film really was innovative, it wasn't a huge success. Gene did miss out on some opportunities in films, such as starring in Guys and Dolls and Pal Joey, the movie version, because MGM wouldn't loan him out. And as he reached the 19, late 1960s, the Hollywood musicals were becoming less popular and were losing their attraction and appeal. Uh, Gene did carry on making films, but particularly more from a directorial point of view. In 1967, he appeared in the French musical comedy Les Demoiselles de Rochefort, where he uh, starred across from Catherine Deneuve. And this film paid a lovely homage to the MGM musical. In 1969, we know that 20th Century Fox commissioned Gene Kelly to direct the film adaptation of Hello Dolly with Barbara Streisand and Walter Matthau. And again, I have talked about this in a previous episode, so check it out in letter H for Hello Dolly. For me, Gene Kelly is Hollywood. His arms stretched out, that huge, broad, gorgeous smile singing, Gotta Dance in the wonderful sequence from Singing in the Rain and dancing around with Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor to Good Morning, roller skating in It's Always Fair Weather and just bringing such joy. I'm absolutely delighted to include Gene Kelly, a legend. I do want to briefly mention the wonderful American composer Jerome Kern, who actually wrote over 700 songs during his lifetime. And he collaborated with so many famous librettists and lyricists, including people like P.G. Woodhouse and Yip Harburg, Johnny Mercer, Otto Harbach. And he was nominated, Jerome Kern, for eight Academy Awards and actually won two of them, both for Best Song, one being The Last Time I Saw Paris, which he co-wrote with Oscar Hammerstein the second from Lady Be Good. And the other one, The Way You Look Tonight, that gorgeous song from the film Swing Time with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, which he co-wrote with 
Dorothy Fields. For me, uh, Jerome Kern is most associated with the beautiful score for the 1927 Broadway play of Showboat, which he co-wrote with Oscar Hammerstein II. And it's just magnificent with songs like Old Man River. Uh, Jerome Kern worked on many films and many shows throughout his career, including Covergirl, which I've mentioned already today. So I just wanted to give him a quick acknowledgement. Jerome Kern. I'm actually staggered by how many Letter K people and shows there are this week. I could have probably done two programmes. We haven't talked about Ramin Karimloo and Debbie Currup, Danny Kay, Ruby Keeler, the fabulous Stubby Kay, the musical Christina. We haven't talked about Maria Karnilova or Grace Kelly or Anna Kendrick. We've not talked about Henry Krieger, the composer of Dreamgirls, or Eartha Kitt. We've not talked about Madeleine Kahn, the fabulous actress who starred on Broadway in the original production of On the 20th Century, and Candide and She Loves Me. And we've not had time to talk about the four-time Tony nominee, Judy Kuhn, who I absolutely love. She made her Broadway debut in 1985 in The Mystery of Edwin Drood and starred in The Ill-Fated Rags in 1986, which I will talk about again. I love that musical. She was in the original cast of Chess on Broadway as Florence Vassey in 1988. And, of course, she sang the title song for Pocahontas, the Disney film from 1995. Most recently, of course, she starred in Fun Home and Fiddler on the Roof in the West End. Judy Kuhn, absolutely magnificent. We've not had time to talk about Paula Kelly, who made her Broadway debut in a show called Something More, alongside Barbara Cook. And, of course, from the 1967 film Sweet Charity with Shirley MacLaine and Cheetah Rivera. So many people. Uh, finally... We haven't had time to talk about Jane Krakowski and I knew her really from Ally McBeal, the TV series in the late 90s and early noughties. She's been nominated for Tony Awards for Best Actress in uh, Nine, the revival in 2003, which she won and was nominated in Grand Hotel, 1989. She also won an Olivier Award in 2005 for Best Actress in a Musical in Guys and Dolls. She is an absolute gem and, uh, again, another person that's a joy to watch. So much for this week's episode and uh, podcast for the letter K. But it's time to say that's all for today. Hope to see you next time. Until then, have a Doris day. <laughs>